the world is changing every single day and you've got to be prepared for that change. It's your job to help lead an organization and to be resilient. So you've got to be resilient yourself. There's a revolution taking place right now. Talent and intelligence are equally distributed throughout the world, but opportunity is not. The talent economy, the idea that at the center of work is the talent, is the individual. The way we work has changed forever and highly skilled talent is demanding flexibility around the way they work and the way they live. This podcast brings together thought leaders, staffing experts, and top talent to talk about the evolving nature of work and how companies can navigate these changes to remain competitive, drive innovation, and ensure success. Welcome to the Talent Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Labby, Chief People Officer at TopTel. I'm pleased to welcome Ola Snow, Chief Human Resources Officer for Cardinal Health. Ola has been with Cardinal Health for about 20 years and has held a variety of roles before taking on the top HR spot in 2018. She has led talent management, total rewards, talent acquisition, diversity and inclusion, and the corporate HR business partners. Before that, Ola was the Senior Vice President of Human Resources for the medical segment at Cardinal Health. During her time at the company, she has led more than 25 M&A deals. She serves on the board of the Cardinal Health Foundation, Baxter Credit Union, and Flying Horse Farms, and sits on the Columbus Women's Commission. She's an active member of the Ohio State University's Women in Philanthropy and of the Go Red for Women's National Leadership Council. Ola earned her bachelor's degree in management with an emphasis on human resources from the University of Alabama. Welcome, Ola. Thank you, Michelle. So excited to be here. I'd love to talk about your personal career journey. You majored in management with an emphasis on human resources. How did you know so early on you wanted to go in the HR field? Well, I'll probably blame my parents a little bit here. My my parents both grew up in the service industry. My mom was a college professor and a minister of music at a church. And my dad was in city government, but on the business side, he ran arenas and baseball stadiums. And just by nature, I got to spend a lot of time with them in the workforce. And that really led to this passion around business and people, quite frankly. And I got to see those things come together. And so when I graduated from college, I directly went into the hospitality management field. I ran operations and restaurants for a period of time, but I quickly moved towards training and development. I got to open new restaurants and train employees to do that. So this really sparked my my passion from starting, first of all, from a blank slate, making people feel like they belong and making a business successful from a a startup, so to speak. That's how those two parents collided and formulated what now is um, my career. I know it's an incredible time to be part of an executive team of a healthcare company. I mean, clearly it's on the news every day, all day, everything's around healthcare right now. So what are some of the biggest pivots that you and your team have had to make since the pandemic started? And what have you learned in the last few years with this change? Early on, we knew that we needed to have a set of guiding principles. They were our North Star. And that sounds a little bit cliche, but we knew that our employees kind of needed those guiding principles as we made decisions and communicated throughout the organization. First and foremost, it was about employee safety. We had a huge number of employees that had to come to work every day. They were manufacturing, pick, pack, and shipping critical supplies out to healthcare environments. 
So we have this balance of first and foremost, making sure that they were safe, but continuing to make sure that they they thrived. That second guiding principle was about healthcare and our mission. When we think about it, we, you know, we service almost every aspect of healthcare. And we knew that what we did every day was more critical than ever before. Our operations couldn't stand still. They couldn't stop. We even knew along the way that we were going to be critical throughout the pandemic. That third guiding principle was an interesting one because we knew we needed to keep our eye on the business as well. And so for us, the pandemic wasn't all about growth, quite frankly. A lot of our businesses are about elective procedures. And at some point during the pandemic, those completely stopped. And we made some very deliberate decisions not to do furloughs, not to do layoffs. Even though some of the parts of our business had almost stopped, we wanted to look at the long term, not just thinking about our employees, but thinking about our customers long-term. Employees, business, customers were always at the forefront of every decision we made. We've made a couple of pivots along this journey, and one of them was that we sent people home, I would say early, and when I mean early, probably a couple of weeks before most organizations. We were the first organization, I think, in Ohio to send people home. Now, we had some forefront because we have operations in China and employees in China, so we kind of knew what was coming. But I also had a chief uh, medical officer sitting right beside me helping make some of these decisions really early. I think early decision serves us well today. It builds trust with our employees. We did not have any disruption in operations and kept the healthcare chain going. You know, the other pivot I would tell you was just our communication strategy. Like most organizations, we communicated a lot. Daily podcast sessions with our CEO, sessions with me, sessions with our chief medical officer. But we also pivoted our listening strategy as well. And that really became around well-being, safety, and a huge focus on mental health. We knew people were burned out. We knew that parents were doing a lot, and a lot of that burden fell on our women in our workplace. We knew that people were leaving the workplace. So we took to the road, so to speak, through Zoom and had just listening sessions about what was on the minds of our employees. We didn't want people leaving our workforce because our work was so important during the pandemic. So kept our our communications folks really busy, but I do think that it bridged some gaps. We made some changes, added some benefits, added what we call midweek moment, which is really about uh, focusing on you and whatever that means for you at the time. But I would say that listening strategy will be one that'll carry us into whatever post-pandemic looks like. You went hybrid. Are you back? Are you... We're not quite back. We certainly have employees that come in because this environment works for us. We will adopt more of a hybrid approach to our workforce, and it'll be something that we'll learn and we'll morph and we'll continue to grow. But we've always had work from home positions in areas like customer service or others. So we will truly have a hybrid workforce where some will be in the office every single day. Some will be in distribution and manufacturing 
happens every single day. And some people will be uh, with customers and a combination of all those things. So a lot of flexibility, which we know that is important. And I think companies will have to flex to continue to win in the environment that we're operating under. Can I ask what the mindful moment is? Yeah, um, our midweek moment, moment. it happens on on Wednesday afternoons, and uh, it really came about because we knew that there was a potential of burnout and that people were just tired. We had about 5,000 licenses when it came to an app that was around mental health. And we tripled that. So we knew that people were feeling that stress. So we went out and did about 25, 30 listening sessions and really said, okay, we're going to reserve Wednesday afternoons, no meetings, no Zoom calls. It's your turn to feed your kids or take a a walk around the block. If you want to connect with a customer, great. It's been a real success in our organization. And it's been a message that I think our employees really appreciative. This is the time to focus on you. I use it as a time to read and sometimes even connect with our employees and and our customers. Awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Cardinal recently announced an ambitious plan to increase diversity at the company with very specific targets and numbers to hit by 2030. So can you talk more about the strategy and what are some of the ways you're going to achieve those goals? It really comes down to three simple pillars. It's around inclusion, it's around equity, and it's around representation. And we know that all three of these are really important when we think about the needs of those internal and external stakeholders, but transparency really sits at the foundation of each of those pillars. We're really open and honest about what we do well and what we need to improve upon, and transparency of data everything from representation, promotion, retention, even our VOE scores, we really sit on that foundation of transparency. You know, specifically when I think about reaching our 2030 goals, we're looking at it from many different angles, which I think you have to do. First and foremost, it's about creating an environment where people can thrive. They can bring their whole selves to work. And we talk about that every single day. And it really has kind of become part of our employment brand. So that's not just for employees, but that's for potential employees as well. It's about bringing that brand to life so that top talent will come here, they'll develop here, and they'll stay here. So many times people, I think, just think of goals about a recruiting strategy, and we think about it from a recruiting strategy, but also a development and retention strategy. We've always had a really strong recruiting function and recruiting strategy when it comes to diversity inclusion, everywhere from interns all the way to our C-suite. But we really have doubled down on development this past year and not just development of diverse talent, but I'll, I'll say development of the ecosystem around that talent as well. Everything from processes, how we identify talent, but as we think about differentiated development for this group of employees. We also think about their managers and their leaders and how do we make the system and the processes around those individuals successful. And then lastly, just retention. We think about retention probably before employees start, but 
on day one, every vice president in our organization meets with our CEO and myself, and we introduce them to our DEI council. And so we start thinking about belonging and making sure that they can contribute from day one. So we always say retention kind of starts with day one. We are connecting our business and our diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies together. You can't think about them separately. And lastly, we put these goals into our incentive structures. I'd like to say that we're leading the way both in our short-term plans and our long-term plans. Now, with our short-term plans, it really is about building manager capability and training. But for our long-term plans that that support about 80 of our leaders, it really is about um, improving those diversity numbers, those aspirational goals in three-year increments. So we are holding ourselves accountable as well as just talking and, and, and doing doing some activities along the way as well. And you've also mentioned that gender parity is a goal Mm -hmm. for Cardinal Health. Four of the company's top nine executives are women, which is fabulous. What else is Cardinal Health doing to achieve that gender equality? As you said, four of our top executives report to our CEO. We also have three presidents in some of our largest businesses are actually run by, by women. So we're really very, very proud of that. When it comes to uh, gender parity and gender partnership, that again has been a long legacy of this organization. For over a decade, our CEO, Mike Kaufman, led our our women's employee resource group called WIN. And so it's always been a passion of of Mike's and a passion of our organization to really focus on gender. You can Google him and and see him speak on gender partnership, probably more than you can find me talking about (laughs) it. You've been involved with more than 25 mergers and acquisitions in the HR function. What are the major HR challenges when companies merge or are bought? You know, HR plays such a critical role throughout the M&A process. We get involved really early on accessing the culture of an organization during the due diligence process. And you know, go on to negotiate terms and conditions of the contract. And then lastly, but really importantly, integrating employees, processes, businesses into your organization. And we know that they all can have their own set of challenges. Time is is always critical and always a challenge. Everybody wants to close the deal as quickly as they can, both the buyer and the seller. But I don't think necessarily everybody realizes that it's not just about paying people on day one, that it gets complicated really quickly when you think about legal entities and if you cross international lines with work councils and benefits. So it can be a run to the finish for sure. The most critical challenge is getting right, merging two organizations and two cultures together. You've got to honor the past, but you've got to bring excitement for the future for the new organization that's joining you. During due diligence, you you learn a lot about those cultures. So you see those synergies and opportunities to bring that to life for the new employees. But there's always differences that arise. And we know that most failed M&As have some cultural component of of why they, they failed. So you better pay attention to it early on, both before and after the deal is signed. We bring people together very early on. You want to make them feel welcome. You want them to know that they will bring value 
to the business or continue to bring value to the business. And you want to make people feel like they belong and in a place where they can thrive. It's another version of inclusion. That's right. So Cardinal Health has such a wide range of businesses. You distribute pharmaceuticals and you manufacture and distribute medical and lab supplies. You offer business insights to other healthcare organizations and so on and so on and so on. How do you create a cohesive culture among people with such a diverse and different type of roles and backgrounds? It really starts with, I think, with what we call just as you are is just right for us. And it's really the spirit of helping bring people together from diverse backgrounds with diverse skill sets and different points of view. And that will work on different parts of the business. We are a large organization, but I will tell you there's one thread throughout that that I think makes it not easy, but it certainly helps tremendously. And that is that it's healthcare. And we know that healthcare is personal. It's complex. It's special, which is what drives us all to being in healthcare. Healthcare gives people a purpose and it drives people to be their absolute best. I have so many stories where something happens and that our organization rallies together, sometimes even leaving their homes during a hurricane to make sure that we can stand up a pharmacy that was just devastated or destroyed. There's something just truly altruistic about healthcare. And everyone at this organization, no matter what they do, understand that their role helps in that purpose and that we're working towards the same end. So one thing on your bio that stood out to me, Flying Horse Farms. Flying Horse Farms is what I call a magical transformative camp uh, in Mount Gilead, Ohio, that is part of the Serious Fund Network that Paul Newman started in 1988. So when you go and buy spaghetti sauce, I, I actually uh, am from Westport, Connecticut, where go. Paul Newman lived and there started the whole everything there. Yes. So um, Flying Horse Farms is actually one of Paul Newman's camps. It's just a magical place where children with serious illnesses can come be kids. They see their doctors and tutus and body paint and fishing, and it really is transformative care. So two things I really care about children and, and health care comes together in this magical setting where kids can just be kids. That's amazing. Paul Newman actually lived down the street for me as I was growing up and Hole in the Wall Gang was such a huge thing in our town and he was very visible and very vocal, him and his wife. And so- And his daughter, Chloe, is still very, very involved. And so she comes to camp and in our major fundraising every single year. So while I didn't get the honor of of meeting Paul Newman, I have met Chloe and just the vision of camp lives on through the Newman family. That's amazing. Very rewarding. The last thing I wanted to talk to you about is the world of work clearly is rapidly changing. We're all pivoting and adjusting and we talked about flexibility, but what's your advice to other HR leaders? You know, I don't think that two years ago, you and I would ever predict this, right? And I think we have to think even further ahead than we probably ever have before. So I think you just have to accept really early on that the world is changing every single day and you've got to be prepared for that change. You've got to be resilient yourself. So whatever that means for you personally, find joy. It's your job to help lead an organization and to be resilient. So you've got to be resilient yourself. You have to stay connected with 
whatever network or HR groups that you belong to. I think it's been so important throughout the pandemic. We've all as professionals been members of associations and groups. I have used that network and I have a, a, a network of CHROs right here in Central Ohio and large organizations. And we just come together once every two weeks and say, okay, what are you doing? I mean, from contact tracing now to OSHA or federal mandates, I mean, diversity, inclusion, we just are open and transparent, but we, we've learned from each other. And I think as you think about leading an organization, you've got to understand internally, but what's happening externally. You know, the other thing I would say is, listen, so much information is filtered that reaches our offices. People don't want to bring us bad news. So I think it's imperative that we stay connected with our teams and our leaders and our employees. I call them my truth tellers so that, you know, if I go into a town hall and something doesn't land quite right, or even if it lands great, I usually have three or four texts to say, that didn't go so well, Ola. And so I think staying connected with your workforce and having that group of truth tellers is really vital during this time of uncertainty that's going to go on for, for quite some time. Awesome. That was wonderful. I appreciate that. Transparency is one of our cultural attributes as well. You know, you have to listen to your folks and I, and I, I appreciate that. I led our LGBTQ group many years ago. Through that experience, I shared that I have a son that's gay and he came out during that time really young. He was about wow. 15 years old. That vulnerability and transparency when I talked about not just how proud I was of Zach for having the courage to come out, but even my own struggles of now I'm going to have to think about life a little differently where he can thrive and be safe. And that was a hard adjustment for me. And even being vulnerable of that, I got this incredible response from employees and leaders and that People said for the first time they weren't afraid to come out at the organization or say that they had a child that was LGBTQ+. And so it sparks that vulnerability and authenticity in me. Everyone thinks that executives have perfect lives and we don't. Gosh, and no. um, being able to talk and be vulnerable with your workforce around your own struggles or your own challenges or your own celebrations, I think is a powerful tool for the executive of the future. Well, it humanizes it does. Right. Because human resources can historically at some point companies has had negative connotations. And I think getting away from that stereotype and, and make, we're all human and we're all here to help everybody come to work every day and be excited about their career and the company that they work for is important. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to The Talent Economy. I'm your host, Michelle Labby. You can find much more information about the talent economy on staffing.com and toptel.com slash insights. Hubs for bold, comprehensive content featuring business thought leaders and authoritative research focused on the future of work.